senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman! Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlife podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. And this is... You always have such enthusiasm when we start. It's I get... taking every fiber of my living being not to scream goal into the microphone right now. Oh, for Christ's <laughs> sake. This is episode 23, and yes, the, the World Cup just ended. This is the first game I've been able to stay awake for. Barely. Barely. That's only because well, the cat puked. Well... <laughs> Yes, the cat puking did uh, add a certain level of urgency to my actions for a few minutes, but yeah, it's. I fell asleep. What was it, two or three weeks ago? Yes. Like for hours with it on. <laughs> yeah, so this is the game I stayed awake for the zero zero suck fest for <laughs> for a hundred and eighteen fucking straight minutes. Oh, well, it, was, it was a suck fest, except for the parts that by the end were just getting fucking vicious. <laughs> oh yeah, just people backhanding each other, and but still, I sat there. And, it, this is why soccer will never catch on in America. I sat there for like two hours. There was no fighting. There was no scoring. There was barely any bloodshed. Well, by the end of it, that guy whose name I can't pronounce uh, ended up with a cut under his eye and blood gushing down his face. Oh, yeah, it was a uh, Schwein something, <laughs> which I believe is German for pig fucker. Pig fucker. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he got the smack. He's the first guy I've seen hit the ground yeah. in, in World Cup who was actually... Even remotely injured. Yeah, well, and then there was the other other one where the two guys uh, went for the ball with their heads and then de- delicately clanged them off of each other, falling to the ground. <laughs> Which was nice, but <laughs> let's face it. Boston Red Sox, 2004 in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, Jesus. Who is it? The caveman. Damon? Yeah, Johnny Damon <laughs> clocking his head off of... I don't think it was Manny Ramirez, or it might have been. Manny would never have fucking noticed. <laughs> You could bash him in the head with a brick. You'd be like, oh, I play the ball. But, so, yeah, I've seen worse. But, uh, yeah, oh, it just went on and on. And by the end, they're just punch drunk and <laughs> barely alive. And, Delicately cleating each other in the thigh. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah, they could barely even muster the energy to to throw themselves at the ground. They're just letting gravity do their own work. Or they were just getting frustrated with having to defend anything and were just like, just slide tackling with no rhyme or reason. Oh, yeah, just going straight for the ankles. <laughs> and, and the problem is I played, uh, you know, I grew up in the suburbs in the 80s. My parents made me play soccer. I fucking hated soccer. So right out of the gate, <laughs> this is just flashing back to just terrible memories of, hey, fat kid, you're the fullback. You, if there could be a right field in soccer, they would have had me fucking play it. Just put me way the fuck out. So, yeah, I'm watching these people, and I'm flashing back to all the, the little kids in elementary school who all the goddamn girls swoon over. So it's just it, it's a terrible experience, and nothing fucking happens. That that one goal was like a, one goal by a guy <laughs> named Goatsy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Goatsy's really opened this up. He's blown this wide open, Goatsy has. The World Cup has saved this for Germany by Goatsy. <laughs> yeah, so. It was like a fucking mercy killing at that point. It was all of us could vote. Oh, okay, good. I don't have to watch people do a penalty kickoff, which is... Now we just get to hear goatsy jokes for the next two weeks. I think I've got them all out of my system. Okay. I tried to do it before <laughs> I came up. Clearly I had one left in me. So, And I, just, I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't have the time or the energy to do this because 
the problem is I'm just a late night drunk last night. I just ran out of gas. It's like, fine, what is on the television? Because San Diego Comic-Con's coming up. Yep. It, it's only like a week and a half now. We we leave a week yeah. from Tuesday. Yeah. So, and... It's not so, even a week and a half. It's less than a week and a half. Yeah, so we're uh, trying to put our house in order and make sure everything is all you know set up and... Cat-proofed. Cat-proofed and the cat sitter's ready and we've got all the gear we need because you know, we're, we're going to at least... We're going to try to to podcast at least we're going to yeah. try to do it daily at least a short show yeah. from San Diego a lot of it's and I've said this in prior episodes is really going to fucking depend on the annual San Diego Wi-Fi drought. Oh god. <laughs> See if we can get enough signal to to dump a 30 megabit fi- megabyte what? file across the What the can tubes. we steal for free from Petco this time? <laughs> Oh God, yeah. It's a, there was a stretch because we get there early on Tuesday before we can check in. Yep. And so yeah, we leave Boston at like seven thirty in the morning local time, but that means we land in San Diego at ten thirty local time. So we're starving and brain damaged from getting up at four o'clock in the morning. So we we get there and shovel down food, and then we got nowhere to go and nothing to do and a pile of freaking luggage and yeah. professional equipment. <laughs> So, yeah, we, we sat outside our hotel just in line of sight of Petco and yep. <laughs> sucked off of their Wi-Fi signal for two hours sort just so we didn't die of boredom. Alternately from, from Petco and the nearby Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, it's whoever we could grab a signal from for a minute or so, but I don't want to have to owe anything to Starbucks. I think for a while I was stealing it off of the Dole Pineapple ship, but yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> I was about ready to just clock a passerby and set up his phone <laughs> as a Wi-Fi hotspot. Anything to just... Ignore the horrible existence of like a three hours with nowhere to go and nothing to do. Yes, I'll have another green tea, Mrs. Barista. Yeah, to pay $95 <laughs> at fucking Starbucks so we don't get evicted. Yeah. But. Going to diabetic shop, shock for my eighth frappuccino. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're trying to get all this stuff done. So I'm just, yeah, exhausted and I don't know how the hell I'm going to survive the damn convention at this rate. <laughs> if. If just packing stuff for Comic-Con is wiping me out for two hours at a shot. Think happy thoughts. There are plenty of bars. I know where they all are. Exactly. It's going to be fine. <laughs> uh, the happy thoughts are actually the programming uh, for, the, yeah. for the entire convention is now out. This is true. So we're going to talk about that in, in, in a little bit. But, again, with our masterful segues that we use on this program. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, first of all... Uh, yeah, and this, it, it's a thing that happened in comic news. It's not the, the biggest story in the world, but it tied into something Amanda and I were just kicking around earlier in the week. Yeah. So I figured to discuss the actual news item and then the, get to our greater thoughts about it. But and it, it shouldn't even be news because almost exactly the same thing happened about a year and a half ago in 2012. But uh, the DC October solicits came out and revealed that there's a new creative team working on Batgirl starting in issue 35. Yep. Um, it's going to be Cameron Stewart and Brendan Fletcher writing it. Uh, Babs Tar is going to be doing the art. The side story to that is obviously Gail Simone is off it. Now, back in 2012, she was semi-fired, felt she was pushed off it. And she was about- fired by email. <laughs> yeah, inspired okay. by email. Yeah, due to some editorial difference, yes. and then there was a huge internet public outcry, and she wound up getting the gig back. Um, so yeah, and and this was a case where it wound up being uh, she announced after the fact, it's like, yes, I've left the book this time voluntarily, 
due to creative differences. Yep. But, all right, first of all, let's talk a little bit about where they're moving Batgirl yeah. from, <laughs> from where it is, which might be a genius idea. Yes and no. I mean, they're, they're going to wrap up the seemingly never-ending Nightfall arc. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which has been going on for, what, two years at this point? Uh, something like that. This is one that's on your polls, and I've been reading it, but I, I think I've missed a couple issues in there. Yeah, and, and, and Nightfall, I think, has managed to survive several artists. Um, Ed Giddy Bottom Benes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yep, that works. <laughs> up through whoever's... That's a possible <laughs> title, right? that down. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, Bennis started it. Um, there have been two or three. I'm not even sure who's doing it right now. Uh, of course, I've got the book downstairs. Yeah, we didn't bring that one upstairs, but uh, it, it doesn't matter. But uh, So, yeah, Nightfall's been going on uh, forever. So, uh, clearly, that's going to wrap up ahead of time. Um, but, yeah, there was uh, an interview with uh, Stuart and Fletcher with MTV uh, talking about the the route that this is going to go and uh, apparently they're going to they're going to make it a little friendly i don't know how would you they're, say they're it? going to make it lighter in tone they they have decided that she's be, she's been through entirely too much grim and gritty and they're moving her to yeah, in a, a batman s- title you, you really gotta be careful <laughs> to put enough grim and gritty yeah um and and they're they're they've decided that at the conclusion of this arc she is going to go to grad school Ooh. Um, yes and it says something she's uh, it says that uh do, 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 do. they're they're moving her to some place called Burnside which uh, based on the description of it it's a part of the city known for and I'm quoting from the MTV interview Fletcher says expensive coffee fixie bikes whatever the fuck that is fixie bikes are uh they're like shitty swin schwins they have one gear okay hipsters uh, <laughs> vintage shops and breakout bands yeah it's it's park slope it's park slope and they they say that um their take on batgirl mixes the best elements of veronica mars yay a uh, dash of sherlock holmes okay and girls okay now i'm not interested um <laughs> so you had me up until girls now now i don't care now so, will, will this book still be called batgirl or will it be called barbara gordon hipster douchebag <laughs> <laughs> um well that that remains to be seen, but based on on this uh, MTV News uh, illustration that was provided by Babs Tar, which seems to be taking place in the bathroom of some club, I'm going to go with hipster douchebag. <laughs> oh Jesus! Is that w- yeah, Christ! That's a that's Batgirl taking a selfie. selfie. All right, let's save that picture. We'll put it on the actual <laughs> post. I was okay with that picture until I realized it was a selfie. Now I'm just sickened and that and, yeah. and if that's a if that's a brooklyn bathroom i don't see anybody in there doing blow or please that looks like or, is or, or sucking a dick <laughs> no that that looks like maybe it's in the bathroom at the house of blues <laughs> okay the house of blues is not no it's it's, it's like if you think you want to be a hipster and and yeah. there's a concert that's there. <laughs> the House of Blues is many things, but hipsterish. It, it any place that you can get a a, a damn fine, uh, 
what, what is that dish we get? Because we're not hipsters. We like the House of Blues. Well, we get the, the jambalaya because they used to have etouffee um, back when it yeah. was the real House of Blues if when it was in Cambridge. If etouffee is on the menu, if there's anything French on the menu besides like, rosé, whatever, yeah, <laughs> yeah, then it's it's not a hipster bar. But yeah, well, I'm just saying, like, it sort of reminds me in in my limited um, concert going experience of yeah, like the the House of Blues or the uh, it looks a little bit like the the Roxy, little bit, or the Paradise. It was the Paradise, uh, yeah. Probably the Paradise. Uh, these are Boston bars that a grand yeah. total of two people <laughs> who listen to the show know what they are, and they're going, "No, it doesn't. You don't know what you're talking yeah. about. You've never been to a concert." Yeah, but <laughs> all right. So uh, actually, bring that picture back up. Let's talk about the costume because this is something I've seen a lot of online chatter about. People are thrilled about the costume. Yeah, I, I can get behind the costume, although I'm seeing enough pouches that I'm, I'm a little like Liefeld shy. Yeah, but none are stapled to her thigh. True. So. Well, look at this thing going on. Yeah, I, I think that's more of a you know, like gunslinger tie-down for <laughs> you know, whatever that pouch is. It's where she keeps yeah, her, her okay. molly. I don't know. <laughs> But, that would hold a lot of Molly. But Not yeah, that I okay. would know that. So they also yeah posted the uh, character design uh, page, and a lot of it makes more sense for an urban crime fighter. Like it's a, yeah. a leather jacket as opposed to a spandex shirt with individual tit compartments, <laughs> which you know makes Ed Bennis all giddy bottom. But well, yeah, that would I be don't... that would be like you know spandex with individual compartments for ass cheeks. <laughs> That's how you get giddy bottom. Yeah, all right. <laughs> she also had that going for her. Um, I don't necessarily see the back from from here, but no, there's there's no. This is this is uh, a one ass shelf. There's there's no one crap. ass shelf. Is that a thing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it is now. I, I, I buy all my clothes from comic book conventions. <laughs> I don't know what the terminology is. Um, she seems to be wearing what appear to be Doc Martens in um, a stunning yellow. Um, uh, apparently. So I guess she's a hipster in 1992. Yep. Um, well, and also let's keep in mind the um, members-only jacket kinds of details that the leather jacket is rocking. That is true, and, and the cape is snap-on. Yeah. And I apparently that's again for a crime fighter. I guess if you have to have a cape, one that you can't be grabbed by. Right. Probably makes a certain amount of sense. Yep. But yeah, and. I kind of get why the enthusiasm for it, but I, I've been reading comic books long enough. I just keep thinking that a costume change has never saved any comic book. No. It, it, I don't think a costume change has ever made a, a comic book better. Ask John, Pon, John Paul Valley. Ask, <laughs> ask Blue Superman. Oh, God. You, know, <clears throat> you could probably make an argument for the the symbiote costume, but that was a long time ago. Yeah, I mean... With, particularly within the new 52, there haven't really been any costume changes that have done anything to enhance any of the franchises. I'm thinking about the re redesign when Supergirl was relaunched with the uh, weird, somehow like kneeless, thigh-high boots. Yeah, <laughs> and, and Hawkman's nth metal yeah. claws straight from Wolverine. Right. And, and frankly, none of the costumes are are better. No. They're yeah. just different. Superman with his popped collar and <laughs> Batman with 4,600 seams everywhere so you can really show your enemy really where he should try to get the tip of the knife. And and, and the Catwoman boob glasses. Oh, my God. That was the fucking worst. 
I think it took me three issues to realize that Catwoman's goggles, drawn by Guillaume March, <laughs> were in the shape of a fucking bra. She had two extra tits on her head, man. <laughs> And, Eyes up here. Oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and when I was thirteen, <laughs> all right, that may, okay, four boobs. Yeah, I'm a grown man. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, as, as costume changes go, this is one, and it, it doesn't suck. And at least it seems to be a functional costume. I mean, yeah, it it makes far more sense than than even Batman's, which yeah. you know has historically been jacked dude in a spandex t-shirt and yeah supposedly he's got body armor underneath it wayne, that, wayne tech body armor <laughs> yeah well and that's that's part of the thing uh, from what i've seen on various sites women in particular really like this costume this new batgirl costume because it's more practical which makes a lot of sense except no superhero's costume is practical it's all over idealized bullshit right you know yeah if Batman wearing body armor, you would never, you'd only see his pecs in the bat shower. <laughs> they wouldn't show off his physique. No. You know, for a crime fighter to have a realistic costume, they they would all look like Seattle riot cops. Big helmets yeah. and armor, and uh, none of them are practical. I get that, yes, high heels certainly are not practical no. in any part <laughs> of life, frankly. I mean... Yeah, I mean, even porno shoots. It's like that stiletto's going to go somewhere and somebody's going to have to see a doctor. Well, that's that's its own particular fetish, niche fetish. Yeah. Um but you know, even from a practicality standpoint looking at this I'm I'm going, yeah, as a girl, uh get that hair up in a ponytail cuz <laughs> you well, know, hair all over the place while you're trying to trying to kick some dude's ass that just seems like an invitation to at least get it pulled if not create a a visual obstruction. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> Uh, believe me, I I like long hair. I have long hair. But that's why you don't see MMA fighters with long fucking hair. Right. As far as I know, <laughs> that's a good way to introduce your face to the pavement. Yes. So, I mean, none of it's particularly practical no matter what. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, again, a costume change for the, the sake of it, it doesn't really do a lot for me. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it, if they are going in a, a lighter tone... Um, this particular artist with this much more simple girlish even because it no longer really emphasizes look she's got boobs um is is a is i think a consistent choice in terms of how they would be moving if that's where they're going um which which i can buy but all right let's let's talk about that direction for a second <laughs> so all right it, since the new 52 started Yes. Batgirl has overcome a literal crippling injury. Yes. She has been attacked by her brother. Yep. I, I think in current continuity up until now, she still thinks that she killed her brother. Yes. She's been hunted by her father. Yep. She's watched her father be falsely accused of murder in Batman Eternal, which is going on right now, and be sent to jail. And her mother has been grievous, grievously injured. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Uh, and she's been attacked by the Joker, who is the person who put her in the wheelchair to begin with. Right. Who goes through that and says, you know, I think I just want to have later adventures and hang out with the other kids. The appropriate response to that is crippling alcoholism. Yeah. And it, it seems to be a direction 
to a certain degree they've tried to take in terms of they did this with uh nightwing also um where they had dick grayson leave town and go to chicago and they very purposefully gave him i think brett booth art where it was just you know bubbly fucking manga looking shit yeah <laughs> and i didn't like it in that either i mean booth's a purpose perfectly serviceable artist i don't want that on a bat book i <laughs> well it, yeah it's yeah, and I could even buy it for Batgirl, but the problem is, since the New 52, DC's editorialized themselves really into a corner. Yes. Because they had a book similar to this, a Batgirl book similar to this, with Stephanie Brown as Batgirl yeah. by Brian Q. Miller. And that's all that I'm seeing on the various forums is, well, if you're going to make her look like this, why aren't you bringing back Stephanie Brown? And ba 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 Stephanie Brown is back. She's in Batman Eternal. She'll be back as spoiler, for God's sake. But she, Yeah, she's back, and, and, and a world of hurt is happening to her. <laughs> yeah, but even then, uh, yeah, why not bring her back? Because to have somebody go through all this and have the response to this terrible, tragic personal loss be, I think I'm going to go to grad school and take selfies in the fucking toilet. <laughs> I mean, the, the selfies, somebody who's gone through that, taking the toilet... Are really, you know, help is written in lipstick on the mirror. Yeah. It's, it is, it, it's a tone change I just can't buy. It's it's too much. And I haven't seen it executed, but it, on its face it doesn't really make sense to me. It also feels like they're making a decision to try to encourage a younger and more female demographic perhaps to pick up the book. Well, yeah, that's absolutely what they're doing. and And it makes a lot of sense to do that. If not with Batgirl, with some book. Yeah. yeah. Look, you and I have talked about it. I don't know if it's ever been on the show. I'm fine. Have, please have female-centric books that bring young female readers yeah. in. It's good for comics. Not every comic book has to be for me. Yep. Not every comic book is for me. I'm okay if two-thirds of them aren't for me. I've found the books I like. Believe me, I spend plenty of money on comics. And there are, there are other books coming out every week that are an opportunity to be your book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's uh, Warren Ellis used to say, with superhero books, imagine you walked into a bookstore and all the books were nurse books. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, there, there should be books for everybody. But, I mean, this is an existing property that has, at this point, three years of very specific history, none of which lends itself to... Oh, I'm just going to go hang out at the coffee shop with whoever the amalgam of you know, Chandler and Phoebe we could plug into this thing. Yeah, it's... I... I'm just not sure it's the right book to make the, the entry point. Or if it is, frankly, then thinking about it for just two seconds, yeah, I agree, make Stephanie Brown Batgirl. And they may do that um, down the line, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> but it was it was an easy, easy gimmick to do pre New Fifty Two, because you know you had two or three potential players who could put on the suit and helm the title. Yeah, and you can't. You know, it, in order to have that tone change four or five years ago, yeah, they had to take Batgirl away from Cassandra Kane because it yep. doesn't make sense. For that character to suddenly become Batgirl Kitten Defender. <laughs> it just... You, know, you no. need somebody else in the suit for it to make any sense. And with everything they've done with Barbara Gordon up until now, I'm just... I, I don't think it makes sense. Well, I, I have to wonder if they're if they're doing it because there was a... 
there's a there was a reveal in the book this week where Batgirl is talking to I forget who, um, who, whatever that that group is. I think that's like the the FBI group. Um, and oh, she's Argus. Like, maybe because uh, um, I I read this book. Uh, I read this this week's issue. And but I'm, I'm trying to figure out like, where you're going. I'll, I'll I'll do what you want or something like. She's clearly talking to her. I, th- I feel like it's the one though that like that uh that Bones character um that's involved in the Batwoman book, mm. um whatever that friggin' shadowy government organization government organization is. Yeah, I, um, I may be thinking of a different issue then. Um, so I'm wondering if if her decision to leave at the end of this arc is going to be tied into that in some fashion, so that she's doing whatever it is that she needs to do to fulfill that, but not being in a place where she's necessarily going to give any intel away that would compromise Bruce Wayne or any of that. Yeah, I mean, that's possible. And Simone is a good enough writer. She can find a way to tie it up and at least have it make a a little bit of sense. But it's just on its face to have this character who's gone through these things over this period of time just say, you know, two-thirds of it, eh, fuck it, I'm going to go do this other thing. It's not something I necessarily buy. No, but on the other hand, I, I think you do also have to keep in mind that these have been purposefully set five years, even though we're coming up on. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, five years, they're all five years younger than they would have been. Yeah. So there's a, a maturity leap. Um, this is not the character that, became oracle or she may at some point in time but she's not there yet either yeah except she was oracle that's that's the thing about how dc has fucked up the new 52 continuity Uh, she was in the chair she was oracle batman's been around long enough to have to have had (laughs) four robins for christ's sake yeah yes she's 21 years old and and i saw a tweet from gail simone today um, that said i was writing her as a 21 year old Okay. But still, there's enough history there. Yeah. So one would think that she would be more mature and make wiser choices and not feel the need to do something seemingly this frivolous. On the other hand, we don't know how it's going to play out yet, so. Yeah, I mean, it it may be an awesome book. And we're going based on a solicit and, you know, a few interview quotes. True. It just, this feels like... It's it's not even feels it's not even feels like because Simone went on Twitter Twitter she said she was leaving the book because of creative differences um, and that Mark Doyle uh, who's the new uh, Batman title editor Again, since yeah. February is a uh, quote taking chances in a positive way but taking chances so this is clearly a decision that came down from editorial and. Simone decided it wasn't something she wanted to implement or she didn't think she was the right person to implement it. Or it could be as simple as, you know, after everything she went through in 2012, she said, really, another thing? You know, and I'm just going to go do some other fucking thing. Well, yeah, because I, I, you know, this whole arc was supposed to be leading towards a big reveal that she'd been wanting to do for a very long time. And we're not entirely sure what that's going to be yet. <laughs> well, <laughs> was it the thing that you found on Twitter? No. Okay. No, as as part of the Batgirl arc. Okay. Um, and that was supposed to be sort of the culmination of this. So the I guess the question would be what what is that? Because it feels almost sort of like 
the J.H. Williams thing with Batwoman. We had a, a clear thing that we're working toward. <laughs> and and the, it was signed uh, off on by editorial. <laughs> and at the 11th hour, no. <laughs> yeah. And well, it, it's it's not that we're hearing, no, she's not being allowed to do that, but it feels like, yep, you get to do that, and then why don't you please move on. Uh, which is maybe how it turned out. But DC editorial, particularly since the new 52, has really had a history of fucking things up with creators. Yeah. There, there was the, the, just off the top of my head, the Gail Simone, Batgirl firing, rehiring, that yep. they called a blip from the <laughs> uh, end of 2012, uh, with uh, Constantine changing the creative team before the book even could come out. Yeah. And taking people who were going to be on, just shuffling people around. And that was one where Jim Zub, I think, was supposed to do... I want to say Green Lantern Corps, and they yeah. popped him off completely, and he's finally landed back at DC, at least with the Suicide Squad Amanda Waller special from yep. a month or so ago. And uh, whether you like him or not, Rob Liefeld <laughs> fucking rage quitting <laughs> DC in a hail of tweets going, everyone's a fucker but me. Yeah. yeah. So it, it has clearly been editorial-driven, at least from the beginning of the New 52, and, and if... Probably before then, uh, definitely before then, because of a, a, a couple other things. Uh, off the top of my head, bringing back uh, Barry Allen as Green Lantern. Yep. And no, Barry Allen is the Flash. Hal Jordan is Green Lantern. Yeah, I, it's it's definitely editorial driven. It, even before the switch over to the New Fifty Two, I mean, there was very clearly with the whole Final Crisis, Flashpoint, Paradox, that whole. Thing. Yeah, because Flashpoint <laughs> was not supposed to be the reboot event. It was just supposed to be a big Flash event. Yep. And uh, Dan DiDio that took that opportunity of, well, we can use this to finally do the reboot that he wanted to do for a while. Right. But DC was fortunate in bringing back Green Lantern, uh, bringing back Hal Jordan and Barry Allen, in that Jeff Johns, more often than not, is a really good writer, and he clearly has some affection for these characters, so... At least they were well-written and pretty effective. I think more so for Hal Jordan. Yeah. Um, but part of why I think less so with Barry Allen is, even though Barry Allen was the Flash that I grew up with until I was a teenager, Wally West is my Flash, man. I've, I, I've said it before. That Mike Barron run for the first 13, 14 issues of Flash post-crisis is one of my favorites ever. Well, and, and am, I, am I wrong? I feel like the way that they've been writing Barry is kind of Wally-esque. So, <laughs> I mean, a, a little bit, um, but without nearly as many rough edges. Yeah. Barry Allen was always a fucking milk toast. He was a narc geek cop <laughs> right out of the beginning. Narc geek cop. Yeah. I Write mean, it, down. he was not, there was the only thing interesting about Barry Allen was he could run fast. Yeah. You know, Wally West over the course of years. You know, really became an interesting character who had a lot of growth from Mike Barron writing him basically as a self-obsessed asshole. Yeah. You know, he was charging people to do courier runs, and he won a million dollars and you know, dumped Francine, his girlfriend, started banging older women. <laughs> and you know, He was a dick, but it, okay, this is something different. And then over the course of years, through William Messner Loeb's run, Mark Wade, Jeff Johns, the character really... It had a lot of evolution. And had time to have that evolution. Yeah. Barry Allen's <laughs> biggest evolution before Crisis was he went on trial for killing a dude. Well, you know, that'll change the guy. 
<laughs> yeah, but that's the only thing that changed him. But yeah. that, we're we're getting way off point here, bitching about with me bitching about the Flash again. But I guess we're at, you know I was I was in our our local comic book store last week um, with you, and uh, we had all sort of broken up into tangential conversations with the people around us. Yeah, and I was talking with the owner and. Who said, can you can you get Rob out of here? Can you please just find another store, for Christ's sake? I keep telling him, pants. <laughs> I'll learn. No, I, <laughs> oh, you no, I won't. No, I won't. Um, but I guess my feeling is that the way that particularly the big two have become so very editorially driven is it feels like there is very little opportunity for the writers to let a storyline happen organically. And maybe I'm naive. You know, maybe maybe storylines haven't really been happening organically since forever, but I feel like since we all kind of lived through the 90s and the shit that went down with comics in the 90s, there was a time where it was like, fuck it, write what you want. We're in, it's not like they're selling anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that. There there definitely was. So you had particularly, you know, by the, the end of the 90s and into the early 2000s, you know, your Warren Ellis's who were taking chances and writing really cool things and Mark Millar and, um, you know, love it or hate it. Some of the other things that were going on with Wildstorm with, with Jim Lee. Yeah. Um, and and even, you know, in there you've got, you know, Grant Morrison doing really cool things with Animal Man, but with still just enough oversight <laughs> where people could kind of reel him back from the edge. Well, <laughs> Animal Man was was really more of a his run was in the 80s. Okay. That was really post crisis. But um but, but they still let him do it. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, Grant Morrison in the period we're talking about late yeah. 90s early 2000s his stuff with The Invisibles. Not The Invisible um yeah. yeah the Invisibles um for Vertigo which is Fucked up beyond human comprehension. I really like it. But it hangs together. As much as a book like that can. <laughs> uh, I revisit it every four or five years, and every time I get something new out of it and say, oh, that thing I thought I, I, I knew what was going on, I think it was mescaline going on. <laughs> but, but And the mainstream stuff he was doing. He you know, did Doom Patrol at this point, Doom right? Patrol was also just post-crisis, okay. yeah. But no, what he was doing in this period, <laughs> what he was doing in this period was uh, Marvel Boy. Okay, all uh, right. He was doing New X Men, uh, the first real big bump in the mid to late nineties was bringing JLA back from the Justice League International. By the time the, I I loves me some Justice League International, after a while it becomes really more of a humor book than anything else. It does. You know, it does. the first three or four years I really dig, and then it's uh, I sort of fell away from it. But to bring it back, the way that he did with the it was the first time, even. Pre-crisis. I mean, pre-crisis was fucking Justice League Detroit. Yeah. So it was the first time, maybe since the early '80s, late '70s, where the Justice League was consistently the the big five plus a couple hangers on. Yeah. All right, and and right, in the early 2000s, Morrison's writing like New X Men at that point, and yeah, which is a killer arc. Doing some really interesting things with those characters. Um. But you know, I feel like now. I mean, how many Comic-Cons is this that we've been going to? Our first one was 2006. Okay. So, so this is our ninth? Yeah. Yeah. 2006, I feel like we were still getting glimmers from individual contributors that were not necessarily hampered 
by an overarching editorial mandate that all shit must hang together. Well, up until 2006, you know, early in the 2000s, you had, uh, to a lesser extent, Bill Jameis, but Joe Quesada uh, taken over as editor-in-chief of Marvel. Mm -hmm. And Dan DiDio, whether you love him or hate him, during this particular period we're talking about taking over uh, as editor-in-chief of DC. Uh, Yeah, Marvel had just declared bankruptcy. DC, who never sold as well (laughs) as Marvel, uh, clearly weren't doing well themselves. They were just coming off the 90s. By the end of the 90s, there was the crash of every comic store that realized, well, shit, we can't supplement our income with enough Pokemon cards and <laughs> fucking pogs. Yeah. Um, you know, so, the yeah, I mean, everybody was saying oh, individual comics are dying. People were calling them floppies, you know, derisively because, yeah, <laughs> of all things, Borders was going to be the future of comic books. Yeah, it's, that worked out. <laughs> yeah, there was very much a sense of, yeah, fuck it, we got nothing to lose because we're doomed. And, and I think we got a good four, five, six years, maybe between 99 and, yeah, probably 2005, 2006. I'd say the bellwether moment was 2008 when Iron Man made a bazillion goddamn dollars. Well, yeah, and I think that's where we started to see from Marvel's side when they started with Civil War. Civil War, yeah, probably another bellwether. I think um, that was 2007? Yeah, because from there it seemed to become a non-stop event-driven, editorially-driven um, sort of focus with Marvel. And at least initially they made their big push to, oh, we have these architects. And so they would trot out Fraction and Bendis, and they would be part of the panels and talk about these events and these arcs and the things that they were excited about. Yeah. Um, and then by the time the last few years, I I remember tweeting angrily. I'm like, all right, so I just had to sit through a panel where some editor that I don't know um, yeah. is telling me about this next event, and aren't we excited about the summer blockbuster? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that they're calling it summer blockbuster, but you know, there's nobody in sight like that's yeah. an actual writer on the book. Yeah, well, Axel Alonso, the the current editor in chief of Marvel, has made no bones about it. I've read in two or three places where he said, you know, look, people talk about event fatigue, but people are buying this stuff. And I can see that, but I, I guess for me, you know, by about the time. Um, Fear itself turned into fearless. I was kind of checked out in my head um, as, as you know, Avengers versus X-Men was beginning to turn into, like, X-Men schism. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's like, really, it's been nonstop. Yeah. It's been nonstop probably, probably since Secret Invasion at least. Yeah. It's like when Millar came in with, and whether, I don't think Civil War holds up. Um, I reread a lot of Civil Wars. I've been going through my collection and cataloging it. Um, some of it, there's still some great individual moments. Yeah. You know, there's, uh, Jesus Christ, the, the moment where Spider-Man goes after Mr. Fantastic and the panel is drawn so you can see him jumping and dodging and knocking people down and Mr. Fantastic says, amazing. And the next panel is Spider-Man kicking him in the fucking face and just saying, <laughs> spectacular. That... <laughs> There are a bunch of moments like that that are cool. In order for that event to hang together, 
it required a lot of people to behave in ways that they would never behave. Exactly. And there were years of repairing that damage. Yeah. Matt Fraction's first real task after establishing an Invincible Iron Man comic in the wake of the movie was, we need to find a way to describe why Tony Stark was behaving this way and give him a literal brain reboot to say, yeah, all that stuff that happened, he doesn't remember it at all. It has no effect yeah. on his personality whatsoever. Yeah. Mind wipe, as it were. Yeah, but so they, there was a lot of damage that came out of Civil War, even though it was really an ingenious... If, if Millar is good at one thing, it's... I call them small idea comics that you can just pitch in an elevator yep. and get yourself your movie deal. The elevator pitch comic, yeah. Yeah, it was, and it's, uh, what if all the superheroes fought each other? Yeah. Everybody wants to see superheroes fight. That was half the fun when I was a kid of the annual Justice League, Justice Society crossover in Justice League of America. Sure. The Marvel team up every fifth issue. If it was a new hero, Spider-Man was meeting for the first time, he punched him in the face. Right, because... Back in the day when you had less of those editorial kinds of, of mandates, you would get Thor throwing down against the Hulk or the Hulk versus Wolverine or... <laughs> yeah, because there was continuity, but it wasn't as tightly scripted, it feels yeah. like. And it was dealt with with you know, an editor's box going, oh, look at this issue of Fantastic such such. Four or whatever. Yeah. You know, Smile and Stan or right. the Douchebag Dave or <laughs> the Syphilitic Steve. Herpes Hank. I could do this forever. I probably have like 30 of these off the top of my head. <laughs> Marvel, if you're hiring, I can't write a book and I can't draw a straight line. But if you, you need give you a nickname. You need a nickname? <laughs> I'm your man. We'll start in the low six figures and we'll talk. But, <laughs> but the thing with Civil War was because it was such a simple idea that really hooked a lot of people in, it was Marvel. It feels like they became like a dude who on Saturday night goes, you know would be neat? Why don't we get some cocaine? We haven't done some cocaine for a while. <laughs> and wow, that was really awesome. Let's go get a, another gram of cocaine. And you know, now it's a month later, and they're chopping rails the whole length of the coffee table, just and, chasing and they've moved that on high. From, they've moved on from, from the cocaine. Now they're just getting the whole speedball, because they yeah. know they have to come down so they can go back up again. Yeah. Oh, no, no. <laughs> they never have to come down. They don't have to come down. What's that? You didn't like fear itself? We'll have the fearless for you. You don't like the fearless? Don't worry. Avengers versus X-Men is coming up. You, you like the Avengers versus X-Men? How about Avengers X-Men Axis? We're doing that this year. Christ. <laughs> What's dripping down my lip? <laughs> Why do I taste pennies? Hey, we're going to kill Wolverine. <laughs> oh, really? We mean it this time. Oh, God. If only I could unclench my fucking jaw. <laughs> hey, we brought back Peter Parker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Buy our books. <laughs> I think I'm prepared to be editor in chief of Marvel. I think, I think I got you it all are. Figured out, I think but, you are. Um, but yeah, yeah. Once it becomes an event thing, and, and again, I think another, like I said, a, a bellwether moment was when Iron Man made a lot of money. Yeah, and people started to realize, okay, these properties are really worth something beyond the. You know, let's face it, the the biggest books right now sell seventy thousand copies. Yeah, you know, probably number one any given month might break six figures. You know, for comic geeks, there there aren't that many of us who are really comics geeks. We are the $20 million presence at any geek genre-oriented movie. Yeah. And it's not even just us. Yeah. It's you know, everybody else who even remotely... Cares. You know, likes genre stuff. But yep. So, yeah, once it became a combination of these events will bring people in and make money, and 
yeah, comics had stabilized and the business was no longer in immediate trouble and it became, and I've said it before and I hate to say it, I think a large part of these books and characters that we love are now an intellectual property font. Well, yeah, I mean, this is also Marvel, um, you know, merging with Disney at this point and being able to take advantage of other media by which to promote their products. So now they have a very calculated Avengers cartoon and Spider-Man cartoon that they can tie into toys and merch. And now it's a whole um, thing. It's no longer just about the character and the stories. It's turned into its own juggernaut, as it were. Yeah, and it's. I don't think we're ever going to... I don't think we can go back. Yeah, to get... Yeah, I look back on... You know, by the late 90s, I was really only buying a few books. You know, yep. Preacher, I was buying Reliant, and most of them were Vertigo books. Yep. Um, because, yeah, I mean, the Spider Clone saga, <laughs> I smelled that one coming a mile away. I remembered reading those, you know, Jackal clone books when they were Marvel tales when I was a kid, going, eh, that's kind of dumb. Uh, but, yeah, it was really around 2000 where it's like, all right, let me just buy a bunch of stuff. And that was right around the time Alias was coming out. The Authority had just come out. And yep. Just these really, okay, these books are bigger and bolder and better written than I remember that really got me back in with both hands to the point where, yeah, I'm looking at Longbox 31 that needs to be hauled over to storage tomorrow. Well, and, and also uh, creators that were working independently were getting pulled in to the big two giving them a, a bit more of a injection of lifeblood. So Bendis coming off of things like Torso um, and writing Alias. Yep. Um, Fraction coming off of, not coming off of, but Casanova was blowing up around the same time that he was dropping some storylines for Marvel. Well, Fraction was really, Fraction is more of a, more of a post-Civil War creature. Yeah, but I'm he, saying, he was doing indie books, like Last of the Independence yep. and uh, Man Tooth, both of which I really liked. Oh, yeah. You know, I remember I was never a participant on the Warren Ellis Forum, but uh, I was a lurker. Yep. So I knew who a lot of these people were just by following what they were talking about. But I'm saying I think his he was beginning to blow up about the same time he got, um, I want to say, subsumed by Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was his first Marvel books were Punisher War Journal yep. right after Civil War, where they brought Punisher back into mainline continuity and uh, Invincible Iron Fist with Ed Brubaker. Yes. So... He'd done a bunch of indie stuff, but his first real Marvel breaks were were post Civil War. Yeah. So, that... but but yeah, he was again one of them who was starting to write comics. Yeah, he was sort of a second level. You know, there were some established indie writers who made that first wave in. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and Ellis was one of them. Um, Brubaker. Yeah. Because um, he was doing some really excellent work um, on Sleeper. Uh, which I don't think that was Vertigo. I think that was Wildstorm. That was Wildstorm, yeah. And for Vertigo, though, he was doing Dead Enders sometime yeah, around yep. here, which I've read and really liked. Yep. Um, but that whole, you know, the, he made Brubaker through Sleeper made those characters in Wildstorm that I normally would not have given a shit about. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting, and made me more likely to go out and and get like the Gen thirteen kind of books and the. The other books that I was otherwise ignoring. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah uh, Ellis on the authority, and then Millar on the authority. Yep, led me to go 
back to Stormwatch. Yeah. If you'd told me in like the mid nineties, you know, believe me, I, I've got issues here and there of like Grifter and Bad Rock, and I tried some of the books in the nineties that weren't <laughs> Vertigo. I I was never going to get out of comics completely, but yeah, just the you know, seeing. I want to be Rob Liefeld when I grow up from every second artist and, you know, just big just battles and pouches and crew cuts and weird haircuts. and It's not good. No, it's <laughs> it's not. It's very much not good. So, but yeah, it's extreme. It got, but it got me to go back to some of those things, and I didn't think that was going to be possible. But I think it would really take another collapse. It flat out would take another collapse. Yeah. Look, Marvel is now owned by Disney. And DC has always been owned by Warner Brothers for years and years and years anyway, but now they believe they've got an Avengers-style franchise that... Well, and also, I think they took cues from the event-driven successes that Marvel was having, which leads us to you know, some of the storylines, war games... Um, yeah, No Man's Land. I think is that. Yeah, in there. That's probably early, early two thousands. Yeah. Might be late nineties. Um, and then going forward into what will become, um, you know, Identity Crisis and um, Cry Justice. Um, oh, cry for Justice. <laughs> for justice. I got a soft spot for it. I'm the only one. But um, but yeah, it was a Identity Crisis, Infinite Crisis, yep. Final Crisis, all bang bang bang. Yep, yep. Into Flashpoint. Flashpoint. So, yeah, certainly DC had their share of them, uh, more of which didn't work than worked. But then, you know, leading into the the carefully choreographed, and there was a certain amount of risk-taking, but everybody had story points that had to answer to everybody else's story points, editorially driven New 52. Yeah. Well, even before that, Blackest Night was awesome. Yeah. And seeing early on in Jeff John's run that, you know, okay, I've got, Sinestro Core War and this thing Blackest Night coming up in the next couple of years. All the coordination to make Blackest Night work was really cool. And that was the first year at Comic-Con where the attendance at DC panels, I remember seeing bigger than the Marvel panels. Yeah, and that's also, I think, where I started to see, I think this is where I started to see, like, okay, DC's still letting their writers come and talk about their events, which is where Marvel had started to taper off and we weren't seeing as many writers yeah. And more editors at their panels. Yeah. Well, it's it may change a little bit this year. I know Dan Slott's going to be there, and he's going to be doing the at least the Spider-Verse panel. Yep. We'll, we'll talk about those in a oh. minute. But yeah, last year was really disappointing. We go to these Marvel panels because we were trying to cover them for the main website. And yeah, it's just editors. And yeah, they'd get Dan Slott for 20 seconds on a cell phone into a microphone. Yeah, or somebody over like a video chat or something like that. Um, DC is, has been consistently better about having creators at the panels. But I feel like, you know, it was, we, we showed up Sunday morning, maybe. Um, and like the, the creative team for Daredevil had just gotten a bunch of Eisner awards and none of them were there the next day to talk about it. It was all editors. <laughs> oh yeah. And they were trying to talk about it at the Spider-Man panel. Cause that yeah. was the only place they could think to fit it. Cause right. <laughs> he, he's in New York. He's got a red suit. Spider-Man, right? <laughs> he's not an Avenger. <laughs> well, he is an Avenger. But he's not going to be an Avenger because he's superior Spider-Man. Uh, it's, it's very complicated. And Daredevil. And yes. Uh, <laughs> and congratulations, Mark Wade. <laughs> yes. 
Um, but where I was going with this to my local comic book store owner guy was I'm, I'm finding myself more and more um, gravitating towards the indie books and my pulls are getting less and less because I, I'm not going to just grab every indie book out there in the hopes of carpet bombing to find a book that appeals to me. This week when I went through, I read my indie books first, um, and then I read most of DC books, and all of my Bar Marvel books are still sitting there unread. <laughs> yeah, that's just fucking great. This, <laughs> this website has existed in one form or another for coming up on three years. There's at least five people associated in one, with it in one way or another. I'm the only one who... So I love superhero comic books. It's most of what I read, man. It's, no, it's not that I don't love superhero comic books. I think it's just I've mentally I've reached a certain point with some of the titles where I need to step away from them for a while, and maybe I'll come back. Like Batgirl, I may, and this is a DC title, but I am, I'll give it a couple of issues under the new group, but it may be like Catwoman where I have to let go of something. I loved Catwoman under Brubaker. I thought that, yeah, that was book a was awesome. Great title, um, and I, I, you know, gave it time through changes after Brubaker, and then it just became no longer tenable as far as something to read. <laughs> yeah, and, and that happens to books. Uh, look, I just copped it in the nineties. You know, th yeah, there were months where I'd go into the comic store and walk out with, uh, yeah, Preacher and Transmet and. Uh, give me this trade of this thing that I, you know, used to like in the '80s that I haven't read for a while. So it, it happens. I mean, it, I'll keep reading them, but you know, my loyalties will probably shift. I certainly don't buy every superhero book that's out there. But I think these days I'm more likely to follow a writer. Like I, I was really excited to pick up um, Chastity this past week, which is by Mark Andreco, because I I like Mark Andreco. <laughs> yeah, um, and he's writing that for Dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and the good thing about everything that's happened since the two thousands is you can really do that. You know, uh, certainly Warren Ellis isn't doing very much in the way of superhero comics anymore, but you know, it, his name leads to trees. Yeah. Um, Justin Jordan, you know not a mainstream guy to start with uh loved strange talent of luther strode yeah but it, even with him uh, went over to team seven this, uh, this isn't quite working for me but you know he, he's a name i can follow for a while and you know if, if the quality continues or gets back to luther strode levels he, he's been up and down some some stuff i've liked some i haven't yeah and we've got an indie book by his in our polls this week, um, the spread. Spread, yeah. Is not, his. not strain. I keep wanting to call it strain. <laughs> no, no. That, that friggin' eyeball on TV. <laughs> friggin' eyeball is everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> yep. But so, yeah, I mean, the, if you're looking for books with people who got nothing to lose and fuck it, I'm just going to make something that I think is cool. I, I think it's at the point. Yeah, you're looking at image. You're looking at indie books. Yeah, and, and it's... I think comic book writing for the big two to me is beginning to feel like um, rock music felt to me in the late 80s. It's slick and well-produced, and there are some hits in there that are compelling, but the rest of it is pour some sugar on me. And yeah, <laughs> I'll defend that song, though. <laughs> I always find myself doing about 80 by the time it's over. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, it, there's nothing wrong with it, but sometimes you, you want the Ramones. <laughs> yeah. And hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I will continue. I'll be the one reviewing the, <laughs> the mainstream superhero books for a while, I guess. Still reading m- many of them, just not yeah, all of them. I know. I fucking <laughs> hope so, because San Diego Comic-Con is in like eight days. <laughs> We're going to some of these panels. Oh, you I better know. like them. I know. So that's as close to a good segue as we're going to get. Let's, so let's talk about talk those a few panels. Minutes. So, yeah, the uh, the entire panel schedule for San Diego, uh, the last one was posted today. So it's it's all four days. And it is every every year it's the same way. It It's probably a good thing they post them a day at a time. So two weeks ahead of time on Thursday, you get Thursday's schedule. Yep. So you look at that and there's always, okay, there, there's a few good panels here I want to see. This is great. I'm getting excited. But by the time you get into Friday, Saturday panels, <laughs> the big days, the, now they got the hook with the Thursday. By Friday, it's always, I want, oh, yes, I want to see that. And then there's all, oh, shit, but 20 minutes later, another one starts over here that I want to see. Yeah, and, and they're I, never near each other. So also, if you wanted to get into one and you get there and it's like like the the Fables one for uh, Bill Willingham a couple of years back. Yeah. Ridiculous line. Like, where did these people come from? And, and good for him. But there's no way you're getting into this. <laughs> Out of nowhere. Uh, yeah. And then it's, all right, well, shit, I'll go see this other thing. And it's too late. And the door's yeah. closed because the room's packed or there's already a line for the next thing. Yep. And it's just, it's constantly like that. But sometimes there's two and three things, particularly on Saturday. Yeah. You know, it's a, there's particular, okay, I want to hear the Spider-Verse panel. But oh, this this thing that's just cool. It has nothing to do with anything because that's the other good thing San Diego's good yep. for is just weird ass fucking panels of just cool shit. Yeah. Um, so there's never a lack of anything to do. It's it's a wealth that you have to pick your way through. And every year it's like, oh, if I'd only gotten to this. And and sometimes you wander accidentally into something that you weren't expecting to go to because you just want to sit down. <laughs> that does, yeah. There are times where, yeah, what the Brony panel, you got an open seat, fine, whatever. <laughs> um, but I was I was more more likely to say that's how we found Heroes, the pilot. Um, <laughs> yeah. The the first uh, couple of years that we were going. Um, and it was not, you know, it's one of those things you were expecting that something like that would have been more well attended and we were able to get good seats. Well, it wasn't in one of the, it was in one of the bigger rooms. I think it was six six, CD, uh, BCF, which is probably the third biggest on-site room. There's Hall H, which is where all the movie shit is. There's Ballroom 20, which Mm -hmm. is where all the TV shit is, which you just don't get into. No. But, um... And then there's this, but yeah, it wasn't full. We didn't have a problem getting in. But also, like last year, we weren't intending necessarily to go to the person of interest panel, but found ourselves in yeah, there. Yeah, we watch the show and like it, but we're not rabid about it. But we're walking by, the doors open, there's seats. We've been walking for hours. Yeah. So, okay, fine, sit down. And that was actually, that's a it was pretty, awesome. Yeah, it was a great panel. <laughs> So, and actually served to make me that much more of a fan and more excited about it when it came back in the fall. So it did its job. Yeah, it did exactly what it wanted to do. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's it just because all right, I've I've been through it, and, and just here's some of the some of the panels coming up that are opposite each other. Okay. That um, that just starting off at one o'clock on Thursday, you've got Batman in the seventies, which has Neil Adam and 
Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill, and that's opposite the Avatar Comics panel with Max Brooks. Now, I really like Avatar books. Yeah. They're not for everybody. They're generally bloody as hell and filled with filthy language. I love Avatar books. Yeah. <laughs> Max Brooks I could give a shit about, but you know, then again, he's he's doing the Extinction Agenda books now, which I really like. Well, yeah. It, he, he, at the very least, gives a great talk about whatever project he's involved in. Yeah. Um, and, you know... Yeah, I, I read his stuff. I, I read all of the crossed stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> I read Ferrell's. I, I, I love that shit. <laughs> yeah. So it's, and the thing is, they're not a huge imprint. So it's really easy to get into that panel. Yeah. And they've always got cool stuff to show off. But it's you know, Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill talking about taking Batman away from the 1966 TV show. Yeah. That so would be something be really cool to see. <laughs> yeah. And uh, at like three o'clock. On Thursday, we got the spotlight on Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti. And that would be something I would like to see. Yeah, because they're both great creators, and we've seen them both in individual panels. Yep. And Palmiotti's a hoot. Palmiotti's fucking fun to listen to. He puts on a show. So, I mean, that's... But that's opposite. And this is just purely for the <laughs> for the, the freak factor of it. <laughs> but it's not even the freak factor. It's... It's opposite NASA's Next Giant Leap panel with Seth Green and Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> and I just want that because I've decided the over-under on Buzz clocking Seth in the fucking mouth is 3.11. Ooh. 3.11 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> but it's even beyond the, the weird dichotomy of those two dudes. How can you not want to meet an astronaut? You know, get a handshake or a quick autograph if he's on his way out and he's not. Because Buzz is like 80-something years old. He's not running out of the room when it's over. Yeah. It's a good so, question. Um, and on Friday, we've got the Spider-Verse panel, um, and that's opposite the spotlight on Neil Adams' panel. Now, Spider-Verse sounds a little weird. That's you know, the event with it's going to have every Spider-Man who's ever appeared in print. Wait, it's an event, you say? Well, <laughs> yeah, but it's a mini event. And yeah. you know what? The last mini event that Slot did on Spider-Man was Spider-Island, which is far more entertaining fun. than it had any right to that be. That was. That was fun. That's just a dumb fucking idea on its face. Everybody's got Spider-Man powers, <laughs> but it wanted to be a fun read. The, the same way it's a stupid idea. Yeah, every Spider-Man who's ever appeared ever, you know, it, and which means it's got the electric company Spider-Man. That got me into comic books. I, I want to see how he's going to fit that shit yeah. in. But, uh... It's also opposite the opportunity to stand up in front of Neil Adams and say, Batman Odyssey. What the fuck, man? What the <laughs> hell was that? I bought every issue. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Those opening scenes where Bruce Wayne, I thought he was taking off his shirt and talking to me, and it made me feel deeply creepy. I didn't. <laughs> Neil, look at me, man. <laughs> All right, maybe we should take you to the Spider-Verse one. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a better idea. Um. And this is one, it's, and it's not particularly because I want to see the, this particular DC Comics panel, but uh, there's an Image panel, and Image has like a panel every day, yeah. so that's going to be tricky to find which one makes sense. Actually, no, the, the Friday one has Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky talking about sex criminals. Which will be a good time. Yeah, and Fiona Staples uh, about Saga and John Lehman about Chew. Um, All excellent books. Yeah, and that's the thing. Comic-Con is really good about not scheduling the big DC and Marvel panels opposite each other. But when it comes to the the indie, even Image, which is as big as indie publishers are going to get. Publishers. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, fuck it. Here's a room. You don't like it? Go to the other San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait. Um, 
but and the DC panels are always just fun. Yeah. And then we talked the the creators are far more likely to show up. Yep. And you can think what you want about Dan DiDio, but if he's on one of these panels, he's another one. He's just a he's a blast to watch. He clearly yeah. whether you like what he's doing or not, he clearly loves doing it and he loves working the crowd. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, DC panels are objectively better and more fun than Marvel panels. Yes. So I'm far more likely to say, okay, it's a DC panel. I really want to go see that, even though it's generally not opposite of Marvel. It's I know I'm going to have a good time here yeah. and, and learn some stuff. But uh, but what I found in previous years was some of the DC panels got a little repetitive, so you didn't necessarily need to hit all of them. But based on the descriptions in the program, you couldn't tell that right away. Yeah, and that may happen. They they used to be a lot better described. You know, you knew you were at a Batman panel. You knew yeah. this is a Superman. This is the Blackest Night. And certainly there's going to be a Batman panel and a Superman one, but a lot of these, you know, this particular one is called Champions of Justice. Yeah, so that could be anything. Yeah. So, <laughs> but still, I like the DC panel, so it's, that one I'm probably more likely to say, all right, we're 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 going to try the image. Right. But with Sex Criminals and Saga both represented, that's going to be a... Yeah, how do you not go to that? <laughs> yeah, but it's going to potentially be a tough get. But in Saturday, there's the lock and key panel with uh, Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez. Now, that's opposite the Skybound panel with Robert Kirkman and Norman Reedus. We're not getting into that. We're probably not, but I, <laughs> I'm just, I kind of want to go to that because Reedus was in Boondock Saints. I was say, what, to see if he remembers you? You'll well, have no. to bring your jacket. <laughs> well, no, it's <laughs> because he was in Boondock Saints, and I said in last week's episode that I was an extra on that movie with a bunch of rowdy comedians, yes. and this is my chance to basically, you know, apologize for me and my buddies spending the day mocking him and his work and his director and his entire way of life. All right, then we're going to either have to camp out in the panel before that one or be prepared to spend an hour in line. Well, you know what? Back when that movie was happening, I was in much better shape and could have defended myself (laughs) against Norman Reedus. Why don't we go see Joe Hill? (laughs) Joe Hill gives an excellent panel. He does. Those of you that have not had the opportunity. And he... Has no reason to want to punch me in the face. Not this week. <laughs> Day's not over yet, but we really like Wraith. <laughs> but uh, the other cool thing is there every once in a while because at at San Diego they don't clear the room in between. So panels. far, don't give them ideas. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know how they could, could even do it because it was such a botch when they did it at Boston Comic Con. Yeah, but uh, so what you can do is if there's something you want to see. Uh, you can just camp out all day. That's that's why Hall H is such a fucking crotch. Yeah. Is because people line up overnight and they go in there for the first panel of the day, even if what they want to see is the last one. Yeah. Which is going to be pure hell for people on Saturday because one of the last ones is the Marvel Studios panel. But we'll talk about that in a minute. But every once in a while, you find one you want and realize you get like a, it's like a domino, a string of yeah. at least two or three things <laughs> where you can just sit there and in between panels move even closer. Yep. And, and this year I found two of them. On uh, Saturday, in Room 9, back-to-back, we got the spotlight on Berkeley Brethed, who's the the writer and author of uh, Bloom Bloom County County and Opus. Opus. Uh, And we saw him three years ago when he did his first spotlight panel. Yeah, it might have been three. Two, uh, three. You can check our YouTube channel. Um, I think we've got him up there, although I may have to redirect. I may have put him under another account. But that was a fucking blast. 
he was just funny, and he brought like slides and yeah. audio visuals of like aborted Otis, uh, Opus pilots, and you know talked about you know, fun little feuds with uh, Bill Watterson. Yeah, with Bill Watterson of Calvin and Hobbes, and like doodles they would send back and forth to each other that were just friggin' brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> So definitely want to get to that. If we can get into that one, the, the next one's the spotlight on Jim Steranko. Oh, my God. And the guy is just a legend, has never done a ton of books. I just want to hear him talk. I just <laughs> Well, yeah, I follow him on Twitter. and it's Tell me a story, Uncle Jim. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Uncle Jim, former criminal and mercenary and escape artist. It's a, Jesus Christ. It's like, I don't know if Jim, Jim Stranko and Jamie Heineman at some point ever hug out because... <laughs> it's possible. Uh, what I have learned from Jim Steranko's... together. What I've learned from Jim Steranko's Twitter feed is I am a fucking pussy. I, I'm a useless wad of fat. There's nothing good about me. <laughs> I've never done anything worthwhile, and I ain't gonna at this point. You you frequently um, make the world safer by converting beer and whiskey to urine. I know, and I've done two of those just during the taping of this show. I'm a hero. You are. I saved Billy. You did. He's with Jeebus now. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the other one is uh, you know, talking about it, the the image panel to, to get some saga. Uh it's on Friday, back to back, two and three. Spotlight on Brian K. Vaughn. Spotlight on Fiona Staples. Yeah, I mean, if they had any brains at all, they they can't structure it this way because they do have to at least try and let people out of the room. But uh, just do a two-hour saga panel without the fifteen minutes in between. Uh, five will get you ten. Staples will show up at Vaughn's, and Vaughn's will show up at Staples. It'll just be two yeah. saga panels. Very likely. So, and yeah, I mean, other ones. Other panels, like I said, they're just fun ones. I mean, <laughs> this is <laughs> this is one I don't think I want to go to, but it's just because the, the, I I could only think of the answer after seeing the title. It's one of the first ones. Thursday at eleven a.m. How fan fiction can lead to being a professional. <laughs> professional what? Well, and all I could think <laughs> of was come for Bigfoot. <laughs> oh, that kind of professional. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but this one actually does look cool. Uh, Thursday at 2, 1984's Greatest Geek Movies. That sounds awesome. Um, so, I mean, just thinking about the flicks of that year. I mean, that was Ghostbusters and Gremlins and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, uh, Buckaroo Banzai, uh, Dune. Uh, Dune was okay. but Yeah, but, you know, for the time. <laughs> yeah, so it's, I mean, but I mean, that was the summer I turned 13. So it was the first time I could just go to the movies. Yeah. So... That's one you're not going to learn anything. It's just going to be a bunch of middle-aged fucks going, you remember? Wasn't that awesome? It'll be the Chris Farley show writ large. But so what? That'll be fun. And this well, one... but, but you know what? If I can make a point, as as much as, you know, I, I wasn't helping, you know, casting a fair amount of negativity on the way that the big two have gone with, like, editorial and blah, blah, blah. Ultimately, what a convention is about is people getting together to celebrate things they love. And I, I don't think that either of us would be involved in this podcast if, if comics and general geekery weren't things that we love. So even tearing something down, we're still talking about that which we celebrate. And so, yeah, fuck, go to that sort of movie panel. Yeah, speak for yourself. <laughs> I'm just doing this for my community service so they don't yank my parole. <laughs> but no, you're right. Well, and it that's... going around and telling the neighbors who you are, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, my name? Uh, hi, I, I have to introduce you myself to you. My name is Mark Millar. 
But yeah, you're absolutely right. And that is half the fun of this. Everywhere you turn, there's somebody who loves the same shit as you. Yeah. Or if it's not the same shit, it's close enough you can still have a conversation about it. Right. So, and yeah, you can strike up a conversation about Batman in any bar downtown for an entire week. Yeah, it's that's what it's about. So, yeah, it's, you know, we're half-assed critics. We, we find stuff to make fun of. <laughs> Not downright denigrate now and again, but... But it comes from a place of love. <laughs> well, yeah, if if we didn't love it, we certainly wouldn't spend uh, an hour and ten minutes on a Sunday <laughs> night talking about it and neglecting our cat, who right now is destroying everything we love downstairs, so... Because he loves us. <laughs> See, it comes from a place of love. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I am tearing all the wiring out of your TiVo because I love you, fuckface. <laughs> And I would love it if you'd come downstairs and fucking feed me. Yeah, He's been fed. Don't let anybody call anybody. We fed the fucking cat, all right? <laughs> but <laughs> speaking of love and hate, here's what we should see. Friday at 1 p.m., 101 Ways to Kill a Man. Okay. I mean, it's, what room is that? Uh, I didn't write it down. But uh, <laughs> no, it's it's one of, the, one of these goofy things that's just fun that pops up at Comic-Con. It's a bunch yeah. of crime authors and crime comic writers Spend an hour talking about how to figure out how to kill people in books. <laughs> and where the fuck was this when I was in a hotel in Augusta, Maine that time? <laughs> Help me then. Are you, are you sure you want to go down this path? <laughs> uh, don't worry. This show's going to be canceled. <laughs> this is this is an actual comics one, and we talked about this before. Yes. It's a publisher I'm not familiar with. Uh, it's Lion Forge. Oh, this, yeah. Lion yeah. Forge Comics. Oh, I want to see, I want to go to this panel. Yeah, and they've got a few books they're announcing, none of which I've heard of, but there's a, there's one that I have to be there to see, <laughs> Knight Rider versus Airwolf. Yes. That yes. That would be fucking glorious. Uh, why nobody <laughs> thought of this before, just taking two 80s icons and just slamming them together. Uh, I don't suppose there's any hope that we could get David Hasselhoff to show up for this. He'll show up for the opening of an envelope. He's probably there right now, hoping that hot meal's ready. <laughs> Let me in. But it's just, I would I would go to that just to pitch other books, just mash up other eighty shit. Hardcastle versus McCormick versus Manimal. <laughs> Automan versus MacGyver. I was say MacGyver versus Miami Vice. That's oh, that's better. <laughs> yeah. Small Wonder versus Webster. Fight to the death. Actually, no, wait, no. MacGyver versus A-Team. That's what you want. Oh, yeah. That's what you I want. I would pay that. <laughs> I'd pay to see that. I would immediately subscribe to that comic. So, yeah, I don't know what they have in mind. I don't care. That's going to be a fucking pre-order at the local comic store. <laughs> Just Simon versus Simon versus... Simon versus Simon. Oh, yeah, shit, I had one. I lost it because I just heard the cat yowling. Versus Murder, She Wrote. Like, versus murder. Oh, yeah, Jessica Fletcher. <laughs> we'll put her in 101 Ways to Kill a Man with that whole theory that she was killing all the people in Cabot Cove. Well, let's just say, like, if Jessica Fletcher shows up, you, you roll versus um, your own doom, basically. Oh, yeah. You you gots to roll a 20 to get away from Jessica Fletcher. <laughs> Her thacko is ridiculous. <laughs> Her thacko <laughs> is ridiculous. <laughs> that, just the, the other really cool one, and the, yes, this is one we go to every fucking year, and we look forward to it, even though it really means the end of uh, the end of Comic Con is every year in one of the bigger rooms. They they do a sing along of uh, 
Once More with Feeling yeah. from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And uh, the last couple of years, Nicholas Brendan's been there to like kick the thing off and or sober up or something. Uh, either way, it's it, he's got a roof over his head for a little <laughs> while, and it's good for him. <laughs> but uh, this will be the year. Eventually, eventually, I'll screw on the balls to scream something truly horrific when Dawn shows up. <laughs> Because everyone yells "boo" and "you suck," and I, I, well, it gets harder to scream something really good and really effective that's going to make a difference. Because they they had the year they moved it to Hall H, and good luck yelling anything in there that's going to make a difference. Oh, I could have gotten a glorious echo in there. <laughs> it, it would have been the worst echo chamber in human history. Yell, "Cunt! Hey, this is a safe space. There is no safe space from dawn. <laughs> there is no safe space from dawn." <laughs> There's only Zool. There's only <laughs> Zool. Uh, all right. So let me just do a quick rundown. These these are the big panels that we're not going to get to. Just because you can't, literally, you can't get into Hall H. No. Um, well, you can, but you just have to be prepared to sleep out overnight from about Tuesday on. Yeah, you, you have to decide that's what you're doing. That's what you're at Comic-Con to do is go to Hall H. Yeah. Um, and two-thirds of the time... If you're diligent, by the next day you can see all the super secret footage on YouTube that pops up on accounts here and there. Yeah, um, yeah. It's I don't think we've been to Hall H since 2009 for Watchmen. Right. And that was only we took advantage of a brand new volunteer and a horrific breach in line security that gave <laughs> us plausible deniability to jump about 7,500 places in line. Yeah. And I still Those... feel guilty about it. And I don't. Well, all right, we got in. That's the important thing. I didn't get sunstroke, and I got to sit in Hall H. No, there you go. <laughs> but uh, And Ballroom 20 is just about the same. Yeah. It's just where you line up. One's inside, one's outside. But So, yeah, it's uh, these are the big uh, – this is not every Hall H panel, but here are the big ones that caught my eye. On Thursday at 4.30, uh, The Visionaries, which has no names on it. It's just a couple of blockbuster directors talking about movies. Okay. Now – there is no Star Wars or Disney presence for Episode Seven at Comic Con this year. No, and and likely they'll save any announcements for their own. What is it? X twenty three. Yeah, the place where they did all the Avengers yeah. stuff back in two thousand twelve. Um, so, if we're gonna get anything, there's potentially a chance J.J. Abrams is one of them. Yep. Um, it might be the only place we get any word about Star Wars, assuming it's J.J. Abrams. Yeah. We don't know who it is. We don't. Uh. 12.20 on Friday is the Walking Dead panel. You're not going to be able to get <coughs> near there. Uh, same thing with Game of Thrones. That's 1.40 on yeah, Friday. <laughs> um, let's see. Kevin Smith is uh, at 6.35. That son of a bitch. If he shows up on time. Yeah. Uh, the f- in 2006, and I think it was the first time he was a repeating presence at Comic-Con. Yeah. We specifically went to see him, uh, see him speak. And at the time, I smoked two packs a day. So we went a panel early. And sat there, and he was late and late and late, and finally said he wouldn't show up. And so we've never tried to go back. No. So uh, Hobbit, th- uh, everything for Hobbit three is going to be at ten thirty on Saturday. Uh, Sin City, Dame to Kill for at two fifty on Saturday. The big one, I'm just interested in seeing what they do with it. The Marvel Studios one is at five thirty, and. Potentially, we're going to have a guest who can be at this panel and tell us what went on. But I, w- I want to see somebody. I want to, I want to s- see them try to explain what the fuck happened with Ant Man. Yeah, it is going to be a song and dance, and is potentially close to a hostile crowd as Kevin Feige has ever seen. Yeah. Now to counterman that, 
I guarantee you there's going to be some sweet Avengers 2 shit. Yep. Or Guardians of the Galaxy. He'll bring, he'll unload every gun he's got. But, you know, the whole Ant-Man, Edgar Wright thing, I really want to hear some questions and answers about that. Dance, fucker. Yeah. <laughs> now, the other uh, other one, 11.15 on Sunday morning, the following panel with Kevin Bacon. <laughs> what the fuck is this doing That's at Hall Comic-Con? H? That's a Hall H panel. That might be one we'll be able to get into. We're not going to that. <laughs> I, I tuned out of that thing halfway through this season. Other bit, the Simpsons didn't get fucking <laughs> Hall H. Well, the Simpsons are always in like ballroom twenty or something, but yeah, um, <clears throat> just absolutely horrible. So yeah, the, the following gets Hall H, but there's nothing there for Star Wars. <laughs> it's Comic Con, everybody. All right, it's uh. We're an hour and 20 in. Want to talk about a couple of comic books real Let's quick? Let's talk about a couple of comic books. All right. Want to start with Walking Dead? Let's talk. Yeah. Okay. Just because we talked about this one uh, a few weeks ago in episode 19, um, which is certainly there. Go listen to it. But, um, so, yeah, this is Walking Dead 129, written by Robert Kirkman, uh, art, as usual, by Charlie Adlard. Uh, so, in this issue, we've got Rick taking Carl uh, to the hilltop. He's yep. agreed to let... Carl go there and learn how to do something productive and let him out of his out of Rick's sight. Yep. Uh, Rick has a last conversation with Negan where Rick implies that Negan has been neutered by his couple of years in the clink. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so then, then Rick heads off with Carl. Uh, they get in the cart. They get on the road. Uh, and then they get attacked by zombies. Uh, and Rick is no longer on his game and nearly gets himself eaten nearly gets himself eaten and then uh when they meet the patrolman who was supposed to clear the area uh rick corrects him behaves <laughs> in a fairly brutal fashion yep uh and in the meantime while all this is going on uh magna the the new addition to the camp who mistrusts rick uh heads into the prison and finds negan and uh <laughs> negan uh says stuff capitalizes yeah. and scene <laughs> So, so the question that arises from this is, has Rick li lived long enough to now finally be the villain, or does it just seem that way? Yeah, it's to me this is a really interesting development that when we we talked about the last issue in, yeah, it was episode 19. I checked. Okay. Um, yeah, I think Rick's becoming the bad guy. I think, well, it's, it's interesting because I... This is the third community that we've seen in Walking Dead. Yes. There was the Governors, there was Negan's, and now there's Rick's. And the first two were corrupt hellholes. Pretended they, they had their high spots, there was safety, but yep. they were ruled by violence and an iron fist. Yep. So I'm wondering, does it look like Kirkman's trying to say something about civilization in general? Interesting point. Because we still haven't learned the cause of the outbreak. Kirkman may have some high-minded, uh, oh, people living together this closely for this long and bad things happen and this is the planet or space or Jeebus. Or well, here's the other interesting thing, and Kirkman apparently alluded to this in the Letterist column um, in a previous issue. We haven't seen Michonne since uh, the two years have passed. We've seen a lot of people walking around with swords. Not her sword. Yeah, we haven't seen Michonne. Uh, Maggie is in charge of uh, Hilltop. Of Hilltop. I'm wondering if 
Carl's not going to get to Hilltop, and it's just going to be, yeah, okay, we're separate. We're we're split off. We don't want to go back to that. Yeah. You know, and revolution is potentially fomenting. Potentially. But, yeah, the question becomes, you know, after you get to a certain point where it seems, you know, Rick is resting on his laurels because he no longer has the active skill set to defend himself against zombies left to his own devices. Yeah. At least not without difficulty. Um, has he start to buy buy into his own hype? Has he started to um, rely more on the strength of the cult of his personality rather than the fact that he had been a reasonably good guy who had to make really hard decisions in a brutal world? Yeah, well, I I think it would be a really bold move for Kirkman to kill Rick. Yeah. I don't know whether he can. It's Sorry, just making another beer safe for, for kids by filtering it through my liver. Um, well, I, I think he can, but I, I, mean, I, certainly, don't, I don't think that Negan will be the one to do it. I, if, he, if he does it through Negan, then he's, he may be risking setting himself up for audience uh, disapproval. Well, it's it's possible, but certainly he set himself up for audience disapproval when he allowed Negan to beat Glenn to death with a baseball bat. He's never been shy about killing favorite characters. Yeah. You know, he had Laurie blasted to death holding an infant with a shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> killing the protagonist who's been there from day one would be a bold move, and it would be a serious statement if he does have something to say about civilization in general being dangerous or power being dangerous. Yeah. It would be a very bold move to kill Rick. And yeah, Negan might be the one to kill him. Negan is not going to become our protagonist, I don't no. think. But, you know, this new... Magna. Yeah, this new... And, and yeah, uh, let me just... Inter- no, I won't interrupt for a second. Uh, could become the new Rick. But it's... At this point, the book has been going on long enough, along with the TV show. There's a certain safe feeling when you're with Rick... Yeah. Because he's survived all this stuff. You have to shake that up eventually or else the stakes really, really get lost. Right. Right. And it could be shaken enough, shaken up enough that another possible way is Rick doesn't get killed, but finds his son turned against him due to his methodology. And, And Carl was like weirdly cagey like for for a kid who had become so competent despite all of the injuries and whatnot that he had gone through in the last couple of issues, just he was weird. Like he, he'd gone weird. (laughs) Yeah. Weirder than weirder than even in the old days. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'm just, I'm wondering if he's got something to say about civilization. It's, it's an interesting turn that Rick certainly right now is not the good guy. Right. No. Negan certainly right now. That's the other tricky part of it. Right now, I'm not sure who the protagonist is. Yeah, well, I think I think the the community, in a way, is the protagonist. So now we just have to see how things are playing out. Yeah, which which gives Kirksman an opportunity. If the community is the protagonist, and we've got a big enough cast of characters, you can kill Rick. Yeah, you know he's he's not needed. There's a big enough cast of characters, including people who've hung around almost from the beginning. You could whack him and keep the book going. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, and 
yeah, Magna certainly has taken the Rick Rose. What she did, breaking into the prison to see what's really going on, it's exactly what Rick would have done. It's what he did with the governor and yeah. with Negan. And, so, and, and all right. Uh, could, <laughs> Kirkman, if, if you're listening, and you're not. I, I've, <laughs> I've looked at the numbers. You're not. But <laughs> can you have these characters say each other's names once in a while? I had to go to the Internet to find out what Magna's name was because it hasn't. It hasn't been used in the last two issues. It's it's black and white art. A lot of the characters look kind of similar. And now there's been a two-year gap. A lot of people look different. Sometimes visually it can be hard to keep track of people. Have people say each other's names a couple just so I know who the fuck I'm looking at. People like to hear their name in life. It, it makes <laughs> makes me happy. <laughs> Except every once in a while, it's followed by you're under arrest, under suspicion, and then I don't like it. But <laughs> like, no, I'm Mark Millar. Ask the neighbors. <laughs> All right, you want to do one more real quick? Let's do one more real quick. Wh- which one do you want to do? Let's talk about Grayson. Okay, so Grayson number one, uh, written by Tim Seeley, art by Mikkel Janin. Uh, it's the first post-death resurrection, no longer Nightwing. Uh, Dick Grayson comic book. Agent 37. Yes. 37. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice choice. So, yeah, it's a. Uh, Dick has gone off to join Spiral to keep an eye on them for Batman. Yep. It's his first, his first mission. He's tasked with getting a Russian with some kind of nuclear farts or implant or something <laughs> off, a, off a moving train before the Russian version of the CIA can get him. Uh, Dick manages it. Uh, he, he's working with. The, I think newly introduced New Fifty Two version of Helena Bertinelli, who is no, her name is Helena, but she's not Helena Bertinelli. Helena Bertinelli shows up in Batgirl as Huntress. Okay, this week. all right, it's definitely Helena. Uh, yeah, maybe. Her name is Helena, but it's like Mistress M or some right, shit like ma- that. Uh, matron. Matron. Yeah. All right, so maybe uh, maybe I inferred that where it wasn't there, but anyway, they, they get the guy out. Um, but just before they get away, uh, Dick is intercepted by the Midnighter, and they busted each other in the face for a while. Which was probably my favorite part of the whole book. <laughs> well, yeah, it's all right. Well, then uh, let's let's talk about that. It's yeah, Midnighter has clearly always been meant to be a pastiche of Batman. Yeah. Um, in this case, he's working with Midnighter's working with somebody. We don't know who. Right. The first time we see him, he's calling back to somebody named Gardner, who is, which is not a name beyond Guy Gardner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or a call sign I'm familiar with. So he, he's clearly with somebody who has their own agenda. But I don't know. If they continue to meet, eventually there's going to be some kind of subtext there. <laughs> basically Dick fighting Batman. Because, I mean, on one hand, this whole infiltration of Spiral... Does Dick even want to do this? Batman sort of said, I need you to do it, and he agreed to go do it. Yeah, but. begrudgingly. Grudgingly. Um, well, because also, I, I, having outed himself over the events of Forever Evil, um, or leading into the events of Forever Evil. Um, yeah. And then his own. Well, he also, they, they had this premise that he couldn't, they couldn't let people know that he was still alive because it was going to fuck some other shit up. Um so he had to disappear himself, and this Batman made it seem like this was the only reasonable um, avenue of action well, Batman at this point. Is, Batman is very persuasive, and that doesn't mean that Dick necessarily believes him. 
Right. And at this point, Dick's lost everything. Everybody knows he was Nightwing. He'll potentially be hunted if anybody thinks he's alive. So it probably makes a certain amount of sense. That doesn't mean he's happy about it. Oh, no, I said grudgingly. (laughs) So I think it would be kind of cool to see Dick able to really not just yell at, but yell at and unload and battle his father figure for this situation. And... I would I would say that Midnighter's um, reaction to fighting with Dick was pleasantly amused until he was blasted across <laughs> the landscape by the nuclear belly guy. Well, um, well, yeah, it's a there was one great line in there. It's like you you improvise, you fight like jazz. That was kind of a cool line yeah. <laughs> uh, that Midnighter uh, said to to Dick. But uh, yeah, Midnighter supposedly has these implants, and ever since Ellis created them, can see every move in a fight this far ahead. So, and Dick is alleging that he also can read people. He's not necessarily making it out like he's some sort of meta, but that his own skill set, having trained under Batman at this point, is such that he, he may not be able to read as many moves ahead as, say, Midnighter, but he can read at the very least the next move and then the next move. Yeah. So this also puts him in in a certain contrast with this matron, Helena, whatever character who feels that she is um, seductive enough and persuasive enough that she doesn't require these hypnos that their group uses to persuade people, um, which makes one wonder, you know, how much Dick can actually see through that sort of thing. No, yeah, that's definitely true. But also with, uh, with Midnighter, the conceit that he has these implants that make him that much more effective a fighter make it the easy thing to do with something like this is yeah i train with batman you're no batman yeah midnighter gets his ass kicked so by having this uh conceit it it makes it so that it could be a series of i'm I'm just looking at the issue to try and get a sense of i could have sworn midnighter is no it's helena bertinelli is that really right there uh, third panel on that page all right i could have sworn i saw it in there but uh, yeah to get back to uh, uh what i was just saying the uh the conceit that Midnighter is jacked up and therefore could be potentially more formidable than Batman makes it so we could have some really cool action sequences. Well, that makes me wonder then, you know, the Helena that's in Batgirl, it's not Helena Wayne because that's Earth 2. Yeah, so if it is Helena Bertinelli, clearly she's working undercover somewhere, Yeah. either as Huntress from working with Spiral or vice versa. But I, I can't imagine DC would say, you know, oh, yes, Huntress, we're going to make her basically a, a spook for the CIA. Yeah. And and to be fair, this person that was Huntress never really copped to who she was in this Batgirl issue. Yeah. So I don't know. But and the other cool thing I really liked about this was a spy action on a moving train. That's pure James Bond. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was just a nice economical way for Seeley to say a lot about what this book could potentially be just with setting and the people around it and the potential mission without having to waste any real estate beyond saying this is a spy book and we've got some cool spy shit in store. And they did cop to giving him a gun, but to their credit, he never used it as a gun. He used it as a, a blunt implement. <laughs> yeah. It's almost a half-assed batarang. Yeah. <laughs> with far too many moving parts. Yeah. But, yeah, if we ever get to the point where he's uh, 
swinging a gun around. I think we have a whole different set of questions. But that's also why I wanted to talk about this book as as we're starting off with it, because there's potential here for, for Dick to do a lot more growing up than he may have otherwise in a Nightwing book, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, And it, it speaks to, all right, if you are a man who's had your identity taken away from you, then who are you? Um, you know, are you merely the sum of your actions going forward or, you know, what else do you get to bring to the table at that point if you have to leave everything else behind? Yeah, and it sort of puts a fine point on it with he's just Agent 37 until the end. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not even you're not Dick Grayson or Nightwing anymore. Yeah. It's you're a number, dude. You're a number. But also to, to very pointedly have him... Um, fight a Batman analog in the first book. <laughs> yeah, I really want to see where that goes. I want to see Midnighter come back. I want to see more Midnighter. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, generally enjoyed it. Uh, liked, uh, always have liked uh, Michael Jannon's art. There were one or two places where I couldn't quite keep track of what was going on with the fights. I, there was a scene yeah. where Midnighter's swinging something and there's a crunch, but I'm not sure who did what. But the opening stuff on the train, everything was clean. Everything looked like it came from a James Bond flick. Yep. You know, the, the use of uh, time-lapse silhouettes to show some of the acrobatic moves you know, made everything dynamic. So it was a good-looking book in general. Yeah. Well, I, I've always enjoyed Michael. Mike, is it Michael or Michael? I don't know. He doesn't return my calls. Um, Janin's art. I, I liked it when he was uh, working with, was it uh, Justice League Dark? He was doing that? Yeah, Justice League Dark from the beginning Yeah, with Peter Milligan. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, we'll definitely stick with this one. Yes. Didn't have to say it with Walking Dead. Obviously, we're going to stick with Walking Dead. <laughs> I think we've been there from issue seven. Until such a time as I, I have to put it down and walk away. <laughs> well, so far, there's no superheroes. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the superheroes yes, thing. Yes, I, I, I know. I know. And there's... There was a stretch uh, leading into All Out War where we'd done two fucking years with with Negan. I've said it before. I don't want to rehash the whole yeah. thing. I would like the the sad thing is the first thing in the letters column from this particular issue was uh, something about, see, that's why you kill a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> that's about as good a note as we're going to end it on tonight. Because yeah, we're uh, all right. We're we're a little bit over. Oh, okay. And. and hour and a half is a little bit over for some people to start with so well that's it so which episode is this 22 episode 22 that's in the tank thanks for listening uh you can find us at our home website which is crisis on infinite midlives.com uh you can find us on uh itunes and wherever you get your finer podcasts and we're still trying to add new avenues to that although if you're listening to this you found it you're safe you're good it's fine. Thanks for finding us. Yeah. You, you poor dupe. Can you show me how to get home? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, I always forget. What is our Twitter handle? We are at Infinite Midlife on Twitter. Yeah. And uh, we are on Facebook and we've as yet still done nothing with that. But we will someday. Someday. Um, yeah. And you can email us at crisisoninfinitemidlives at, at gmail.com. Gmail and yeah, whichever particular avenue you happen to find this show on. Uh, yeah. If you go there and... uh. Put in a rating or a review. I think it's pretty obvious at this point. We we make this up every week as we go along. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to hear the things people are digging, if they have any suggestions. We listen to suggestions. Sure we do. Yeah. They suggest <laughs> I introduce myself to the neighbors with my real name. Ain't going to happen. <laughs> and that's it. That's the end of episode 32. I'm Rob. 22. 22. <laughs> I'm
of Amanda. And I'm time traveling. Yes. <laughs> and thanks for listening. All right. Yeah. Are you sure it's not 32? It feels like we've been doing this forever. 22. It's the terrible 22s.